Howdy doody, everybody. I'm Cameron. And I'm Cameron. Again? I think I've used that joke before. Yeah, I think it was only a few Damn weeks it. ago. Because yeah, we were like, and I'm, I'm Cameron too. And we're like, Cam 1, Cam 2, yeah, B1, B2. Okay. Bugger. Oh, I'm, well. I'm Eamon Snow. We haven't used that one. No. Yeah, okay. Um, we have had a chat <laughs> <laughs> with Jack McEwen, uh, lead singer of Psychedelic Born Crumpets. Uh, long-time listeners of the show would know that that's a, a favourite band name of Cam and myself. We've gone forever. on a long time. Mostly the name. I mean, we do love the band, but the band name is something we've been fixated on for such a long time. And if you have listened to every interview we've ever done, uh, we ask every band, I mean, firstly, thank you for listening, for wasting all those hours, but we do appreciate- yeah, kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. um, we, we ask every band where they got their band name from. There's often a cool, a funny story that goes along with it, and Psychedelic Porn Crumpets was a band name. We, no. we weren't letting that one through to the keeper. Yeah, and so we've, we we had the opportunity to ask the question, and that's what you're going to hear uh, pretty much straight away in the interview. But with Jack, we cover a whole bunch else. They've got a new album coming out. Yeah, it was a great chat. You can check out as well if you do like Psychedelic Porn Crumpets or you're intrigued by the name, uh, which is something that we will get into in our chat with Jack. But uh, if the name intrigues you and you want to hear more about their music or you know you just want to search up because you like Jack so much. Have a look. Search on Psychedelic Porn Crumpets on all your streaming platforms. Uh, they have a new album coming out in February as well next year. So, Shiger, the Shiger. Sunlight Mound is the name of it. There uh, you go. And there's a whole bunch of interesting stories behind the tracks on that, which you will hear. And if you are listening to this chat on Spotify, at the end, Spotify have introduced a new feature where you can actually add a song from Spotify into the podcast. Which is really cool. So, if you are listening to Spotify, right you know, at the end of this interview, I'll, I'll add one of the Psychedelic Porn Crumpet tracks. I'll, I'll add their, um, their newest track, Tally Ho, at the end as well. This is a feature that's news to me. Yeah. This is the first I'm hearing of this. I'm actually not sure if it's going to work. So, if you're hearing this, <laughs> it is going to work. If, <laughs> if you're not hearing this, I'm wasting my breath. <laughs> But yeah, do listen to them, check them out, um, get involved with Psychedelic Porn Crumpets, they're a really, really good Aussie act. And now you can enjoy our chat. Hello, Jack. Hey, fellas, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. Sorry about like, my interface broke like last night, so I can't use my... Oh, no, that's my, all right. Like, I've gone and bought another one. I've got the old Universal Audio thing. Just bought it. But oh, that's cool. My internet's shocking, so it doesn't like I can't download anything. Okay. So I'm like, but oh, that's all right. Well, it looks pretty good now, actually. The quality we're getting is is good. This is all right. Fingers I'm crossed. Good to go. Yeah, yeah. This is fine. Yeah, I just sent him an email asking if they had a mic or something they could oh, connect yeah, on yeah. his end. But yeah, so last night. Man, yeah, like while I was recording, it was a joke. I was like, <laughs> I was just building the track, and then just been, so I was like, oh man, yeah. But so I needed, I needed to update it anyway. So now I've uh, had the excuse to go and buy a decent one. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a good excuse at least. Yeah, exactly. Well, How we, you fellas been? Anyway, good. Yeah, we're good. What about yourself? You're in Perth, aren't you? Yeah, man. It's like getting to the uh, scorcher sort of time of year. So mm. it's like. I think 32 today, it's getting to 38 on tomorrow. Fine. I can't do it. I'm just like, yeah, inside recording and everything's hot already. So it's just like, it's just going to melt down. So you reckon that's why yeah. the equipment failed on you yesterday? 
Oh, hopefully. No, I think just, I don't know why it's old. It's gone through three or four albums. So now, uh, yeah, I needed an update. And with the way you guys make music and like the energy, I'm surprised it lasted that long. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I've just been thrashing it. It's always <laughs> maxing out, just recording in the red. It's really an impressive yeah. bit of kit then. It's done well. Now, at Homebrewed, we um we asked the hard-hitting questions, so we're going to start with one you probably haven't been asked ever before. We ever, like since the inception of this show and, and discovering the band, we've always wanted to know about the band name. Is there is there a, a story behind where it came from or anything like that? It's, no, it's kind of, I don't know. Everyone wants this big revealing, like, it happened in, like, a mad dream and it was on the back of a dragon while we were high. But it was like, nah, it's kind of just, I don't know, we wanted something really ridiculous that just sort of encompassed uh, a bit of absurdity and a little bit of uh, excitement, but also intriguing enough that you go and listen to it or hopefully work out something, I don't know, that you'd want to go, yeah, listen to the tracks or get something from it, I don't know. But now it's just turned into, it's a serious joke. I think it started off as a joke and now our lives have become a joke, so we're living in this <laughs> elaborate joke. <laughs> it's an interesting point, though, that you made, that it was sort of the name catching intriguing enough that you might have people from hearing that name go, oh, let's listen to their music. Like, I first had that when I first saw King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. I was like, that's a weird name. Like, let's check their yeah. music out. And they've obviously gone on to do great things. So, did have you found you've had that sort of success or that sort of carry on from people just first off intrigue from the name and then intrigue in the music? I think so, yeah. It's the same we've got Unknown Mall Orchestra and, like, Frankie and the Witch Fingers. There's kind of like this... <laughs> Thing with those side bands that if it's not like if we were just called like the tables you'd be like what i'm not gonna listen to them <laughs> the like, and it kind of just sounds bad uh, there's a movie where someone's like i think it's that new one the motley crew thing where it's like i know that band shit just by like the name i was laughing so i was like what is a porn crump what's the psychedelic <laughs> porn crumpet but at least it kind of makes you go all right i haven't heard that before maybe their music is all right so yeah, it kind of adds to the allure of uh, the mystique around it. Well, the good thing is that you've you've managed to match it not only with good music but with great music, and you're up to now album number four, which you've just announced, which is very, very exciting. Uh, it's slated for release 5th of February next year. What can you tell us about it? Um, oh, man, it's like that whole journey of recording was sort of just – just before lockdown and and the, like Mr. Prism was sort of about me getting pneumonia and there was like a big sort of storm where everyone was like, he's patient zero, like get him out of the country. <laughs> I was like, no, it was like just this, yeah, case of case of pneumonia that just happened around Christmas time, which like, like completely ripped me off. I couldn't drink or smoke or do anything. So when we were playing Fool's Festival, I was like dying trying to get through it and as I sort of went to February and laneway in March and I sort of got my taste buds back and I was like, Beers, like, oh, I can go out and not feel bad. It was like living again. It was amazing. I had this new lease on life. So uh, the whole album sort of jumps into that big sort of adrenaline rush of going out again, I suppose, and getting a taste for, yeah, broken nights and bad decisions. But it all, it all felt like a, it kind of swindled together in a nice album. So, yeah, it's, it's an energetic 
It's so funny you say that because it's gonna like what we've seen so much with so much so much of the music that's been released is that it has this weird relevance to the time that wasn't intended. And I mean it was not exactly, yeah. but you're you've crafted an album about a respiratory illness and then it's also going into like the the joy of being able to go out again just as Australia kinda enters that period. It's like yeah. you know, it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, that's it is pretty ironic that it's what it's about but yeah hopefully everyone can just enjoy it it was sort of as well we were trying to go back more towards um sort of the old school sounds a bit more led zeppelin because everything was pushing like i don't know everyone's got their own little flavor of what rock is now but we kind of just wanted to clear it back like with tally ho as well and prism like what made that so boppy do you know what i mean with like prism and bands like t-rex and thin lizzie or like uh even early ELO stuff, you're just almost like, what is this? What's going on? So we were trying to get that and mix it with sort of a new flavor. But was that even – I think I just came out of nowhere and I just started running about it without a question. But, yeah, there's a little – another insight. <laughs> the um, the Mr. Prism, the song we were just talking about too, you, the video for it was like a claymation-style video. How did that get happening? Um, yeah, so we originally had this idea where we wanted the last half of the movie, like all of us would go into claymation. And then because I was sick, so I couldn't like film anything. So we asked Ollie, we're like, have you got enough time to do the whole thing in claymation? Which turned out to be the, the greatest sort of accident. So he was like, yeah, like speak no more, just go ahead and make this crazy like I wanted it to look like the, uh, you know, that Cabri advert where it's like, <laughs> but then have this huge morbid twist on it where like the character or the Alice kind of character would like eat. Um, what's he like? He's almost the Willy Wonka kind of-esque guy who's like the mayor of Candyland or whatever. Yeah, and so he, just he gets hammered really too. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen that Simpsons video where they're the claymation and they get hacked up by like Jimbo and the bullies? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's so hectic. So I think that was the premise and we tied it in. But we've just got um, – so Ollie, because he did such a fantastic job and it takes ages, like, to make claymation, he was doing that halfway through, uh, like, a heat wave in England. So all the sets were melting and the characters were melting. So he had to, like, set everything in the fridge and do it really quickly and then, like, put them back in the fridge so they didn't melt. And so we're like, man, if he's, like, got that much attention to detail, we're like, we'll get him again. So he's sort of making a sequel – uh, and it's going to be a trilogy of music videos where they're all in this claymation world, but with like different bounty hunters. So the next one's this like dog, the bounty hunter guy. It's almost like Wallace and Gromit in space, but it's nuts. <laughs> yeah. So that should be hopefully coming out next week sometime. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, I saw the promo video as well that you had for it. And I did wonder like how many hours go into the production of these things because it, it was just extraordinary. I mean, the detail in it was like from the, the blood and guts throughout. Like I didn't expect that. Yeah. I just, it was, it's, you know, awe-inspiring, yeah. that kind of work. He definitely, I think he said he was doing like 18-hour days, like eating a meal, falling asleep, waking up six hours later and just getting, to, getting it back together. But it's almost like a sort of a dying art, the music video, isn't it? So I spoke to someone else about like when you're first starting off, you uh, you have no money for a music video or a budget for a music video. So you and your mates kind of just throw something, to, uh, throw something together that's usually like 200 to 500 bucks where you're like in a car or something. And you've worked so hard on the music that everyone then judges you on your music video. And you're like, no, listen to our song. Like, that's what we do. We're musicians. Like, and so it gets to this stage where I suppose like 
um, what are we like? Yeah, nearly, this could be the fourth record. So I think it's only like maybe that last part of what you would call like getting into this one, where we like actually have a little bit more budget to create a video that was sort of more uh, themed with the song. But yeah, I think yeah, it's hard that music videos these days seem to like you are. They're either half a million dollars, and you're getting like all the big superstars of the world putting so much money into them, all your mates and that, yeah, they're like in a bowling alley or something. So we, yeah, I think hopefully the animation is a route where we don't have to look ugly <laughs> and be in it and just make a fool of ourselves. So just, a, yeah, it's a nice little segue. It's funny that you said it was sort of a dying art because just last week we were chatting to a local artist who was saying the same sort of thing that he felt like the, the music video was sort of dying and less relevant. And we were sort of saying you kind of have to do something outside of the box to sort of have it stand out. Otherwise, yeah, it's yeah. probably not worth your time or your effort. So claymation certainly definitely will stand out because, as we said, that's also a bit of a dying art too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the program, I mean, MTV is sort of gone, like B music channels are sort of gone and Rage is all that, like, if you're watching Rage, you're like, it's going <laughs> to be on some early morning hours. So, yeah, there isn't really, I mean, apart from YouTube, but I haven't been on a scroll. Like, if you listen to a song, it's usually Spotify these days. So, yeah, a music video is just sort of, uh, it's not really the, uh, what's the word, almost like the crux of, like, the whole project. That's what it used to be, wasn't it? It was like, wait till the music video, and it was all coming out with it. So, mm. yeah, now they're completely different, which is a good way to at least have a bit of fun with something. But I always tell bands, like, don't, like, if you're not got an idea, don't spend, like, three grand on it or four grand or whatever, because you might as well just put that towards recording. So everyone wants the music. They're not really keen on music videos, but. Yeah, it's the the video is like an added bonus. But when it is claymation like that, it is a big added bonus because it's, like, become something of itself. Yeah. Um, One thing. enjoyed it. With it, I, di- I did want to ask while we had you is that um, I read online that, that uh, I, the I most reliable of sources. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that this may, that some of the band members met through a mutual dealer. Is that correct? Yeah, man. Yeah, me and Luke. That was literally the first time we met. So we were obviously around this, our mate's house, and he had a. So I left my guitar there and the amp because I think we were jamming. He had like an old electronic drum kit, and so we just got messy. Friday to Saturday and just stay there. And then people would come in at random times and just sort of jump on the guitar or jump on the drum kit. And Luke came in, I was playing the drums and I was like, holy fuck, that guy's sick. Like, who's that? And that's how me and Luke met. And then, so I'd send it, we both got each other saved in our phones, like Luke jams and Jack jams. You know, and you're like, man, let's, let's go to let's have a jam. Like, we sick. And I don't think we talked for like two or three months of like actually hanging out. Cause he was in another band and, we didn't bump into each other. And then he'd heard Cornflake play at his work. So I had a little couple of recordings. Uh, I think I was just SoundCloud bits and pieces. And so our friend played it and we'll, uh, sorry. Um, yeah. Rish was like, who's this? And he's like, Oh, that's Jack. Like that's the guy you met. And he's like, fuck. So then we ended up catching up and getting the band together from there. Yeah. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for that house, Hector street, we were thinking about making a record label of it. We had Hector Street <laughs> Records. There's a logo and everything, but oh man, that was a cooked house. <laughs> it's like almost like a rite of passage. It's part of part of growing up. Is it that one house? I think, especially in Australia, it's like everywhere you go, that's your like local mate's house. Between like twenty and twenty-five, it's like a Australian rite of passage. Is you've at least got to spend 
48 hours at some random house you don't know and really don't want to be there, but you're going to sleep on that sofa that everyone else has. Now, you're originally from the UK, correct? I mean, I can, your yeah. accent's, you know, still got the UK accent. So, wh- what what age did you move over? How long have you been here for? I've been here for 14 years. So, I'm half-half, which is, I was moved when I was 14, I'm now 28, so... Next year, apparently, I've got to support Australia in the old Ashes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, know. where does your allegiance lie with, you know, things like the Ashes or anything like that? It's, it's hard because I moved the last Ashes series in England was that the I watched was the 2005 one. So that was huge. So, But then all my boys have, like, obviously retired since then. So it's a whole new – I was like, as soon as Jimmy Anderson retires, I'm sort of – probably going to have to turn Australia. But even when the Ashes is on, there's something that's like in me that I'm just like, even though I like don't really support England in most things, it's like cricket because it's so huge. You can't really change. I don't know. And it's probably it's fun different. to be that little antagonizing creature at the pub rooting for England <laughs> as opposed to a bunch of Aussies that are just around there giving you hell. Yeah. that's It's funny because my voice is like, I think to, to Australians it's, Still a little bit English, but to English people, it's still a little bit Australian. <laughs> so then when I'll be there, the children are like, he can't support them. You can Aussie, mate. And I'm just like, oh, now I'm, in, now I'm completely in the middle where no one likes me. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, in that awkward middle ground. I yeah, guess, that's it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, your sound for psychedelic porn crumpets, I mean, who, who were some of the inspirations for that sound? Are they more English based, Australian based? Man, I think a lot of the songs, I think, um, are definitely from Perth. Like, when we first started going out here, it was like when Tim and Parler were just getting going and Pond were getting going. There was such good bands like Hideous Sun Demon, Love Junkies, Red Engine Caves, and um, even Methyl Ethel's old band. They were called in a band called Sugar Puss, which we used to go watch like heaps, and they were great. Really rocky, so it's funny saying Methyl Ethel now. She was just like, do your rock stuff again. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so that was sort of when we were going out when I first turned 18, those were the bands that were sort of just hitting the scene. So, um, and that got me really in backing because I was doing like electronic production stuff and trying to be like Fat Boy Slim for ages and flying <laughs> loaded, just be like, all right, this this sounds sick. But then I sort of started playing guitar again after watching those bands. And I was like, all right, maybe, maybe there is sort of a, a, a channel for rock music again. And, uh, I think the Australia, well, as soon as King Gizzard came about, like that sort of was nail on the top of me. I was like, sick, that's exactly what I want to do. And and from there, there was like, Unknown Wall Orchestra came out from like New Zealand around that 2011, 2012 time as well. So it just felt like a really big sort of um, site movement that was going on and all rock movement, like the Temples and uh, OCs and even Ty Seagal. It was like hard not to get inspiration from that. And so starting, I think that was all we wanted to do. It was like, there was a lot of like-minded people in Perth as well. Like we've got like the surf scene, hangs out with the skate scene, which hangs out with the music scene. It's not like three different things. It's so all those cultures kind of combine and just were like, here's psych rock. And it's like, that, and then it was like, at least you'd see everyone there. And then you'd go to a, a gig at the skate warehouse or the, like there'd be something on at the beach, like a rave. So it was cool that that formed all around rock music. Uh, but now it's got sort of like, I suppose, a bit more jazz based. There's a lot of like hip hop jazz bands that are going around. Like I know um, 
like hiatus coyote in melbourne was sort of like a big movement in that for australia where it's this really what do they call it they've got like such a great name for this genre um multi-dimensional interstellar gangster shit or something i can't (laughs) polyrhythmic yeah gangster shit i was like that's so good for the name of the genre but that's what they are it's sick and then it was that that then felt like what i had tame impala is like almost the highest coyote now is sort of what's happening around with a lot more grievous bodily calm for instance and this band called Isatang in perth and another one called demon days and they're all sort of just popping up now and i suppose even use of kamal like it's good. I think there's like for people that are like, oh, music was way better back in the day. You're like, dude, like just go online. There is like a million bands of some genre you've never even heard of. And they're doing and they're like, it's such good production. Yeah. It's it's really cool to hear. Like it's really cool to hear how big of a melting pot um, Perth is like that. And it is really cool. Definitely how much it's enabled people um, like the internet age and our technology that we have at our fingertips to produce so much on their own. And I know you guys do a fair bit of home production, you do like quite DIY in your production. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I was just saying before, my poor little interface died last night recording. So I was like, yeah, I went this morning and went and bought, what are they called? The Apollo, the Universal Audio Apollo Twin X. Someone would know that. It sounds pretty uh, cool. <laughs> so I've moved up. They're like, their audio interface I was using was just the Focusrite Scarlet one. So they're sort of like industry, like sort of standard, but just the first thing you sort of buy for just doing home job. And I just stuck with it. And you can probably hear it on all their records. You're just like, why does this sound bad? And then I have to work with someone else and be like, no, all right, come here, we'll mix it and make it sound better. But now I'm, now I'm getting the, the steps of maybe I could do it by myself one day, but I don't know. Yeah, so that's what we do. It's all all done at home, like uh, have a little studio set up here, um, uh, just use Ableton, and then we go and do the drums like live. I just use, a, what do you call it? This is my drum machine. This it is the beauty of Zoom. Food. Oh, one of the, <laughs> the pads, yeah. That's sick. The machine, yeah, so... I, like I've been, there's a running joke with our band that that's what's going to replace Danny because he doesn't you don't have to pay for a hotel room, don't have to get him a flight, doesn't need a visa. Yeah, just put one of them on and you just send him. It. So you would have been pretty well prepared then when COVID hit, lockdown. You got all right, got everything I need uh, right here. Yeah, for sure. I think that was like because it, it was a little bit of serendipity in it because we were supposed to release this record in like June. And then we we're going to go on tour with Ocean Alley. And it sort of like uh, we were finishing up the record and then uh, everything hit. So our uh, manager was like, well, I suppose you can have like a couple more months on it, which for me was like sick. And I just completely scrapped everything. It was like, oh, I'm starting again. And I don't know why. It's probably sounded better before, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. you know when you get too much time on something? Yeah. And then whatever the deadline is, you're always going to stress. It's like every project you've ever done. I don't think anyone, maybe one person out of like a million gets it done three or four days beforehand. And they're like, I swear I'll go to the pub. It's usually just like uni work. You're just frantically trying to get it done minutes before anything. But yeah, that seems to be like. That's because you're at the pub first. It before you yeah, submit yeah, it yeah, as opposed yeah. to submitting it then yeah. going to the pub and being to enjoy yourself at the pub you go to the pub yeah. to sort of forget about the stress of the uni assessment but then you think oh, oh hang on i got this and it did the stress spirals and spirals until deadline and then you're like okay that's done oh i've got another one due tomorrow better start that yeah. i promise <laughs> yeah, i won't exactly. do it again. It's a horrible cycle. <laughs> yeah i'm not doing that yeah. again it's like waking up but i'm I not s- drinking again <laughs> 
<laughs> it feels like you're more creative in that sort of instance, though. Like, if it is a creative project, I don't know if it's like work out nine billion places of pi and I don't know, but at least there's like there's a there's an actual answer to that. Rather than in music, there's no answer to it. So you're almost sort of battling your own head a lot of the time. It's the same kind of with movies, I suppose, or writing or anything like art. It's like if someone's like, all right, here's your project. It's not like they can be like, sweet, you've completed it. It's mm. sort of judged afterwards and maybe it's five years later where you're sort of like, yeah, it was okay, it did well. It's like you never really know. So there's always a weird, uh, I don't know, un- unease about releasing things because you're just like, unless like there's never never a way of telling if you've done well because does anyone really care about chart positions and <laughs> things like that anymore? It's like I don't think anyone does. It's almost like you'd rather like a cult following than have your minute of like, triple j spin or whatever and then you're like sweet you've done it and then no one goes to see you in three years time so it's kind of better to just glide slowly upwards and at least build something along the way that means a lot more yeah it's interesting i heard that discussion earlier this week i heard it they were like the top 40 used to be on album sales and single sales but now it's sort of basing all the streaming platforms and there's a whole variety of things that sort of go into it so the traditional top 40 and, you know, getting those charts are completely different to what they yeah. used to be. And those charts, so it's like literally like four or five people at Spotify who decide what music goes on what playlist. So mm. if you have like a playlist that is a Spotify one, you get your song on it and they've got like 10 million followers like for the pop thing, of course you're going to end up with like gigantic amounts of streams and whatever. It's like the most dictated thing in the world at the moment rather than like it should be like oh, everyone can make their own playlist and everyone can put like a radio station or a podcast or whatever and that's sick like you might have like-minded people that enjoy that but when you have like control of like a streaming service it's like it's so hard for sort of smaller bands i suppose to sort of break through and beat the current uh top 40 bands or whatever or top 40 artists because they're just constantly picking who they want to pick or... And they're paying for those positions too. We've spoken to someone who sort of collaborates those sorts of playlists and people pay big money to get on those Spotify playlists. And so, yeah, that's where the charts are being based off. It's sort of you're paying... It's like a pay-to-win type type service. Yeah, exactly. I I know they do that with book sales now. So there's a thing where uh, I think you only have to sell... I mean, only, but there's this like because book sales haven't sold a lot. So I think you have to sell like 10,000 units for it to make the top 10 book sales. So what a lot of people do is buy 10,000 books from their own thing. So it gets on the number one seller list for that week (laughs) at every airport in Australia (laughs) and everything. And they usually like cookbooks or whatever. So if you have, that's what they do. And then there's some probably author who spent his entire life being like, I've done it, my (laughs) my book. And then just no one sees it because some blokes bought 10,000 copies of his own book. <laughs> their own book. So that's what you need to do. Buy 10,000 copies of your own CD and then sell it out of your boot of the car in Perth. That's it. That's You'll see you me do. in every Target around <laughs> Australia just with a huge van <laughs> for like 40 years. Yeah. Or you just do what the K-pop people do and they're like with their fandoms and they just kind of like have their whole army of fans just repeatedly hit stream and not even listen to the music so mm. that it reaches millions. Yeah. That's another crazy thing that spun me out. They'll just sit there and hit play yeah, on refresh, their refresh, all night yeah. long when they're not even listening to it just to get the numbers up. Man, that is nuts. I know there was a band that did that. They had an album called Sleep and it was like all the songs were seven seconds long and it was just silence. And so they asked all their fans to put it on every night. And after like a week, they had like 
millions of strings mm. and then that paid for the next record to be made. I was like, that's genius. That and then I think Spotify, Spotify changed it that you can't put a song on repeat or whatever. So it needs to be like algorithmically correct. So mm. even if we were like people mine Bitcoin, we're just mining like plays. It's <laughs> like got like a whole team of band people in Perth be like, all right, we're going to win. Even then, you wouldn't earn that much money as we've covered quite extensively on our show. One million plays is like $4,000 or something. So, yeah, we were always laughing about that. Like, if you put your your sort of monthly listeners at the moment and then compared that with, let's say, like 10% of them bought like a CD back in the 90s or whatever. So, let's take, for instance, I think like uh, Tame Impala, probably a good one because they've got like, I think they're like 13 million or 14 million monthly listeners. So let's just say like 10% of them people, even 20% bought a record. So that would be 130,000. So um, it's like, was it a million CD sales used to be the platinum, didn't it? Something like that. Like, I think like he's like Kevin Parker, who arguably is probably the greatest songwriter in Australia in the last decade or whatever, is humbly living in like Frio, it was like a normal car when the guy should own a jet and like <laughs> just be driving around in like like Lamborghinis that he could just easily flip off and be like, here, have my Lamborghinis. <laughs> I'm making so much money. Yeah, it's it's like now streaming. That guy who runs Spotify has like fifty like fifty billion dollars or something. Didn't you see that recently? You're like Every time you make music, we might as well just give him 10 grand and be like, yeah, I've made a song. Like, take it all. Like, have it. So, um, we're joking about it, but it is quite so. I mean, Tammy Parker, Kevin Parker, should be a certified rock star. He should be walking around with his own entourage yeah. and fans everywhere, like paparazzi yeah. Mate, falling everywhere he goes. Yeah, you see him at the cafe in the same clothes. Like, poor bloke. Like, maybe I should offer him a job. We'll get him, on, get him a high-vis high top and a shovel. You could yeah. you could pay him to mine streams for psychedelic porn crumpets, <laughs> mate. <laughs> porn crumpets mine site. Oh. I want to um, go back to when you're talking about the creative and setting deadlines for being for a creative. It's sort of like a, a double edged sword in a way because for the creative juices to be flowing, you can't be like, okay, I need this done by tonight. Let's try and whip something up because it's not going to be your best work. Your best work is whenever you're feeling inspired. Yeah. That's when you go and write a song. That's when you do this. But at the same time, if you don't create a deadline, you're going to keep fiddling, you're going to keep adding a little effects, you're going to keep doing things like that, yeah. and you're never going to finish it. So for you, where, how far ahead do you set your deadline from when you start it? Or is it, okay, I've written the song, I'm going to give myself a month to record and mix, or how does it work? Yeah, there's usually two deadlines. So the first one would be finish the track listing, and then so you'd probably give yourself two months after that to have it fully mixed. So I think this one was, so usually we do 10 songs, but this new album is 14. So I probably should have given myself a little bit extra time in the mixing. Cause I was like, oh yeah, it's the same. It'd be 10 tracks. But then we spend sometimes like Mr. Prism. I think we spent a month mixing that one song. Cause I was just like this bit here, this bit here, this <laughs> bit. And then now I listen back to it. It's like, what am I doing? Like, wh- why did I turn that up? Like, but I think you'll never be happy with it. But um, yeah, the, the first deadline would be get the songs or the ideas, or at least the structures of all your songs done for that record. So that might be like, vocals and or you could have like a little bit of vocals you haven't done you like maybe i need to write like another section of a verse here but at least the whole sort of you know it's going to be 
3.40 or it's going to be four minutes. Or, like, don't leave yourself. All right, now extend five-minute epic part that hasn't been, like, structured or wrote yet. So you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll just wait till the end to do that. It's always everything musically should be finished or at least myself should be finished. And then once it gets into mixing, it's not like you'd have to send the drums back in to redo another part. It's, it's pretty much just working on guitar tones and uh, how, like, the snare sounds. Snare is the, like, I don't know why people in this day and age still think a drum kit should be in music. It's like the most prehistoric <laughs> thing that is musically inept, but you're, like, insisting on hitting a pigskin that it's just like kong, kong every time and it's become the rhythmic base of all music like globally <laughs> i was like man like every time when have you ever just gone to someone and just be like oh can you play me a little bit of drums so i can fall asleep tonight it's like <laughs> it's such a it's a, a savage instrument that is a bastard to record and a horrible thing to mix but i don't know we always choose to have it <laughs> well, it has worked for you. It has worked for you, to be fair. But it's a very <laughs> funny way to put that. <laughs> it's yeah. It's also. Hey, I'm going back. I got my. I got my drum machine. That's all we need. <laughs> that's literally that's all, you, all need. you need. It's funny because we were talking to. It was Dress Tech, a Sydney band, and he was saying their drummer, like finding a good drummer, is one of the hardest things the band can do, and that the drums are so integral to everything that they do. So to hear you then. Yeah on the complete reverse side of that and be like, nah, don't need him. I've got my drum machine. I hate drums. Get rid of him. All guitar nah, and bass. I, I, I'm lucky that I've got Danny. Like he is, I think he's like the head lecturer at uni now in Perth, like for Whopper. So it's like, I know he can do anything, but what I'm more so mean is like, so I might finish recording a song here and then stupidly I'll mix it a little bit with the fake drums in there. Cause I'm like, all right, well, there's a little bit of patch here for a dark guitar tone, or there might be something here for this, or the bass is really sitting nice in. My vocals sit on top, and it sounds perfect. And then the drums come in, the real drums, and maybe the snare is a couple of decibels lower, and it's a bit, like, in a lower key, and the cymbals are just splashing over everything, and it's completely mixing with my vocal take. So then I've got to go back in and be like, rethink where the guitars sit now and what tones to use, because... Stupidly, I do it last because that's the one thing I can't do. So I'm just like, all right, Danny, now come in. And then you're like, oh, man, you've ruined the song. Yeah, so that's what I mean with drums. But once you, if you can do it, like, maybe we should record the album twice. Maybe we should do it to that point, get the drums, and then re-record everything on top. That would make sense, but I don't know. You gotta be. You gotta really love a song to do that. Then your deadlines would be definitely stretching out, I think. <laughs> uh, but- It'd be like a cool record, yeah. You, you guys are over in Perth, as you've mentioned, um, and you know us from the east. We've been not too bad in New South Wales, but we are curious because Perth is pretty much like NWA. It's like pretty well semi-normal at the moment, isn't it? I mean, you guys have even been playing a fair few shows. I've seen photos of them, and they look like I remember them. Um, what, what's <laughs> it like over there? What's how's that been? It's been it's been great. Like we're, uh, I mean. There's two two sort of sides to it. Like one at the moment, it's absolutely amazing. We can do half capacity shows, which for me is like so much better than a full capacity show. One, you can get a ticket. Two, like you can go get a beer at the bar. Three, you can stand there and not get a pint spilled down your back by someone. <laughs> and it's like, you can actually watch the band. Uh, and it's usually like, cause the venues that are half capacity, 
uh, have got the bigger stages because the bands who are playing 300 cap, who, what do you call it, which is now 150, are moving up to playing the 600 cap rooms. So we're now playing in like whatever, like the, the bigger rooms that have 500 people in the 1,000 cap rooms. So it's kind of like it's all the smaller bands can move up and you see them on a bigger stage. You're actually like, they're amazing. So it's, it's, it's opened up a whole big level of uh, production, I think, in Perth, which is sick. And hopefully we step up to full cap soon. But the other thing is because we haven't even had a single break of COVID, it's like probably going to take one person and all of us are going to be like <laughs> with, uh, that alien movie where it's like, oh, it's just the war of the worlds where everyone in Perth is just like, oh, my God, it's here. <laughs> and we'll just be shut down forever because, yeah, no one's even had it here. We do. You do have a couple of gigs coming up here. You got a sold out gig in Sydney and in Brisbane as well, scheduled for early next year. Are you confident that they'll go ahead? That's the tour with Ocean Alley that you mentioned earlier that was originally postponed. How are you feeling about those yeah. ones? Oh man, I don't know. Hey, it's like I'd love for them to go ahead, and I don't want to make anyone like. I don't know. It's 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 a difficult one, isn't it? Because you sort of look at it one way where. Well, we were probably in April when all this was going ahead. And the, I think those shows were supposed to be in May. So we were like one month out thinking, oh, I'll be fine. Like this will be a month thing. It'll blow over. And now it's a six month thing, a 10 month thing. It's going to be a year thing. Uh, and I know all the, so Europe have obviously just gone back into like another whole lockdown where they're properly locked down with no contact for two or three weeks. Um, so all those festivals that were postponed to this year, and now more likely looking to be December 2021. So it's it's like, oh, it's a horrible knock-on effect, really, because if you look at Perth and you say, well, we haven't had, we've had zero cases for uh, six months now and we're still at half capacity, it's going to be pretty unlikely that some shows in America that are booked or some shows in Europe that are booked are going to be like, sweet, like we're fine two weeks later. It's probably going to be a really slow thing. But I think if Australia is like, has got it under wraps, then we could form a really nice bubble here that just has all the touring bands of the world, all the big festivals like taking them to Australia. We'll create a biodome where you've just got like Kanye pouring pint. And then, uh, yeah, and we could just have one of the greatest musical like fantasies of all time. And I think, yeah, we, sh we should do that. We should be aiming for that. And New Zealand as well. It's like they just had the rugby on, didn't they, with full cap people. Mm. So. Yeah, which is I think it's doable, and I think hopefully February should be doable, but I'm not nearly enough an expert to be like, yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> Even if you were, it'd be too hard to predict what could happen yeah. between. I mean, especially with Christmas, Christmas New Year period. I think I wouldn't be surprised if there's another outbreak across Australia. Oh well, the scary one I was watching was once uh, once the outbreak happens, then it was it. I can't remember what thing I was watching. It was some Bill Gates TED talk. And he's like, once the first one's happened, then it's easier for that to breed and manifest into another deadlier virus because mm. once you get the cure, then it's like it's, it's smarter and then it just spreads. We might never even see each other again. This could be the future. <laughs> this actually, like, we all just have, like, robot bodies with faces on them that we send to gigs. We're just like, yeah, sick. We're just like, it's just all robots enjoying themselves. Just cyborg fast-forwarded to now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But we, we'll hold out hope fun. because the whole idea of this, like having even just a Australian, like all the festivals having really good Aussie acts on the lineup, we, I just really like the idea of it. So I really do hope that we can get to a, a point where just Aussie bands are jumping around the place and we can do big tours. Um, 
I think it should be, I reckon it should be doable for Australia. And even if, even if the robots and cyborgs do, that'd be kind of funny because there'd be no laws on like fighting drunk. Cause you're like, I'm just going <laughs> to fight my robot with your robot. It's like, it'd be robot being hits wars. are allowed at all festivals. It's just like, oh, come on. Then. It'd be great. <laughs> Yeah, literally taking Robo Wars, the old TV series, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. a music festival. Think, yeah, <laughs> Robo Wars was made that Medusa one with the you, everyone just oh. modifies their thing with yeah. like gigantic like just to get to the front stage. Like, zoom, zoom. <laughs> like yeah, for everyone else's robot. I need a beer out of my way. That was pretty good. Um, I want to talk about. Um, Mundungus, the song that you guys released. Now, when it was first came out, I described it as if psychedelic porn crumpets had a baby with psychedelic porn crumpets and somehow <laughs> the genetics and DNA of it came out as 200% psychedelic porn crumpets. Because <laughs> yeah. when it came out, I thought that's just like psychedelic porn crumpets on steroids. And then hearing like all the other songs from the album, I've sort of said, you're one of the few bands where the chorus is just a shredding guitar solo. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I, I, I like, and just a scream, an out-of-pitch yeah. scream. Just <laughs> a, yeah, it's kind of like that. I love that, that the fact that we have, like, little uh, inbred children is what our songs are now. <laughs> They're like, like Chernobyl-classified kids. But, oh, man. Yeah, I think, like... I don't know. I think uh, hopefully I'm finding a sound a bit better. Like that might be the case, but uh, I've definitely been sort of having the existential question of like, what am I doing with my life? And what is a, what is music? And what is porn crumpets? Like, it's funny. I suppose like I got to keep telling myself, it's like, well, at least it would not be the final project that I, I'll do. Cause I'd love to work on some other stuff. And I've always got this, like, like I said before, like the big EDM world, just going over some fat, subset and then make it like really heavy band that way but uh so i sort of like spiraling and spiraling the porn crumpets and like if it's out here and it doesn't work then it's sort of like you're like it might work so then that makes you loop bigger do you know what i mean but i'd hate to be like always creating something really predictable and being like oh, okay that's gonna be I, like someone can literally hum the next like porn crumpets track and then they just record it and that's it and then we just slap vocals on top of it but yeah, I'm glad that Mundungus felt weird to you and it felt like it was a, a step forward. Weird. weird wasn't the word just because I you implied that you had inbred children didn't mean it was weird. I was just <laughs> 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 what have we gone on with this talk? I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, is this the, do you want that clip as part of your promo for the next tour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you can morph my head just like a little bit out of shape. Like, it's been in Perth too long. Oh. <laughs> you made that joke, not us. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll move from my Douglas now to the, the latest release, Tally Ho, which is just also epic. Um, what can you tell us about this one? Uh, Tally Ho? Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, this one was more like, I suppose we wanted to go back to the old Led Zeppelin 70s rock kind of route, but glitch it out a bit. And uh, the premise was like sort of one of these lyrics to sound like you just come home like chip face from a night out and then everyone feels like they're like a scholar you know when you sort of hit sit down with some other mates who are like let's talk about the whole world's problems and then they're just 
absolutely yab bullshit and they think they've got like a phd and then like you're sort of sitting there as well with like a pipe like yes sir like i, I think that's that sort of like but yeah that sort of song was just talking about how like idiotic it must seem to a sober person when it's just these drunk rants and your jaws like a pelican but um yeah so it was sort of tally-ho because it was a formal way of saying you're all just i know we're all just shit talking but and also the the cigarette rolling papers. I, I was going to say the, the rolling paper, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, hold on, when I was trying to name a song, I was like, smoking kills? Nah, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. I love that. It's the kind of thing that would happen at the house at Hector Street that you mentioned before. <laughs> yeah, I do. That's the whole thing. Like every house I've been to, maybe it's me. Maybe it's just that's what I like doing and then just pull people into this horrible abyss <laughs> of shit chat. But yeah, Hector Street was... A giant mouth and no brain. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for chatting to us all the way from WA. We're super excited to see what... Uh, sh- sh- actually, we haven't even touched the name. Sh- is it Shiga or Shiga, the Sunlight Mound? Shiga, uh, the-, the Sunlight the Mound. Uh, that's coming out February 5th, 2021. So we'll be eagerly awaiting what porn comments have for us next. Thanks very much, Jack. Oh, thank you so much for having me on.